everybody, and welcome to another beautiful Thursday morning. You're listening to Bhavani at IE Queen on the Progressive Radio Network. I have a great show for all of you today. Leonard Bushell will be joining me. He is the author of a new memoir called High Confessions of a Cannabis Addict. And I'll be telling you more about him and his book and his work in just a little bit. But first, I want to share with you some things going on in the news, some ways you can take action, and of course, share my weekly recipe with all of you. Um, First, I want to share with you that next week, starting February 20th, is CSA week. And that is just a week of all CSAs across the country coming together to raise awareness about community-supported agriculture. And That is one of the best ways to get local, sustainably grown, organic vegetables into your home and support a local farmer at the same time. And local farmers who are growing organically are not only providing their community with delicious organic vegetables, but they're also helping to replenish the earth by building up soil health and sequestering carbon into the soil uh, from the atmosphere. And that's all really very important work and it's something that needs to be um, recognized and actually um, celebrated Um, and these farmers deserve recognition for that and even compensation and there's talk about that in ways that that can happen but meanwhile um, I just wanted to share with you that here on Long Island we are hosting the third annual Long Island CSA fair on March 26th from 11 to 3 Um, That's a Saturday, and we have Sunday, the 27th, as a rain date. But we have over 20 farms that provide CSA shares that will be there to tell you about their programs. And CSAs are not all the same. You know, some CSA programs, you have to pick the vegetables up at the farm. And some other CSAs actually have deliveries and drop-off points throughout the area. Um, Also, some CSAs are only vegetables. Some CSAs also um, share the program with a local cheese producer or a local um, egg producer or a flour producer. And so different CSAs offer different products. So you really want to shop the different CSAs, find out how much they charge for a full share. Do they offer half shares? Like if a full share is too much for you, if you're only a a single person or a couple, you might not want a full share. You might want only a half a share. And some half shares are a half a share every week or a full share every other week. So you really need to compare the different um, programs, the different price structures. Um, Some CSAs require you to pay all the money up front, which actually supports the farmer when they need the money to purchase their seeds. But recognizing that some people can't afford that, some CSAs have ways that you can pay it off on a more weekly basis. So, again, you just really want to come out to the CSA fair. And if you don't live on Long Island, um, there are CSA fairs going on around the country. And during this CSA week, that's a really good time to find out about it. So check that out. Um, Ways that you can take action this week. I wrote about nanoparticles. That are in that's in baby food, both in formula and baby food. But actually, as I started researching it to really be able to talk to you about nanoparticles, I found out that they're in everything. Um, nanoparticles are so tiny that they can change a substance's entire structure. They're smaller than the 
um, width of a human hair. And um, they can actually penetrate the blood brain, ba- blood brain barrier um, and be absorbed into the body more quickly. Um, as I was researching it, I found out that um, nano silver, which is being put into things, is responsible for a lot of the antibiotic resistant superbugs. Um, and that the nanotechnology market has grown to over $20 billion. I mean, it is big. And they're putting these little particles into everything. And because they're grass, which means generally recognized as safe, they don't have to label it. So when you look at something like oat milk and it only has oats and water in it, well, you don't really know if it only has oats and water in it. It could also have nanoparticles. They can put those in and not have to label them. And I find that so unbelievable and hard to believe. And the research on it, you know, it is not considered safe. Um, Friends of the Earth um, commissioned their first ever laboratory study, and they found that um, nanotitanium dioxide is one of three nano-sized structures causing concern. Um, Nano-silicone dioxide is an infant formula and is shown to accumulate undissolved in the livers of mice and rats. So of course, they can't do the studies on babies, but doing it on mice and rats, you know, it accumulates. And I mean, when I started looking into this, it was really frightening. And so um, please sign the petition I have on my website. Uh, Check it out yourself. Do some research on nanoparticles. It's just unbelievable that our country allows that. And the other thing is that they allow the food companies to do their own testing just like pharmaceutical companies. You know, they, we allow our pharmaceutical companies to tell us if a drug is safe. It's a, it's a ridiculous process, but that's what they do. And they're now allowing the food companies to also do that. So they do their own testing and say it's safe. Well, that's like, you know, the fox, you know, guarding the chicken coop. It just does not work. So um, please sign that. I also have a petition um, to try to get a handle on the plastic crisis we have going on in this country. I mean, right now, um, you know, plastic pollution kills over a million marine animals annually, including turtles, dolphins, whales, and seabirds. But the plastic also breaks down into nanoparticles. And the plastic in the ocean, I mean, it's getting into our water and into our food supply. So Studies have shown that the average American is actually ingesting a credit card's worth of plastic every week. That's every week we're eating a credit card's worth of plastic. So it's just really terrible. It's in everything. And again, you can't see it. So um, please sign that petition. Let the Environmental Protection Agency know that they need to step up to the plate and do something about this because it's just unacceptable. I also wrote about the Whole Kids Foundation is now accepting applications for their school garden grants. And as we all know, school gardens are really a great way for kids to learn about vegetables. Um, They're more likely to try vegetables if they grow it. Um, And the garden grant will give a school $3,000 to help start a school garden. So if you are a K through 12 school or a nonprofit organization that serves children in that um, grade range, um, apply for this grant. The Whole Kids Foundation is the nonprofit leg of the whole foods market, and they really are doing some great work. So um, check that out. And then there was a really 
informative article in the New York Times on Monday about organic cotton and the market coming out of India and how um, chances are that a lot of the organic cotton that we think we're buying is not really organic. There seems to be a lot of um, a lot of under the table deals and payoffs and fraud when it comes to organic cotton. Um, and so it was a great article. I encourage you all to read that. And I have a link to that on my website as well. And my website is ieatgreen.com. And if you have any questions for me, you can also send me an email at bavani at ieatgreen.com. And so now I want to share with you this week's recipe. I made a crispy tofu with mushroom, spinach, and cherry tomatoes tapenade. And it's a great, quick, um, easy meal for midweek. Um, you can certainly, you know, really use use this foundation, making the crispy um, crispy batter. And you can really make any sauce you want. I mean, I happen to have mushrooms and spinach in the house and cherry tomatoes, so that's what I did. But you can really um, prepare the tofu in this way and then put any sauce you want. You can make it Indian, you can make it Mexican, whatever. So this is um, with, like I said, mushroom, spinach, and cherry tomatoes. So the ingredients you want is a cake of I used extra firm tofu, but I think you could probably use soft tofu as, as well. Three tablespoons of cornmeal, two tablespoons of tapioca flour, a quarter teaspoon salt, a teaspoon of herbs de Provence, um, some olive oil spray, also three tablespoons of olive oil when you get to the sauteing part, a pint of baby bella mushrooms, two teaspoons of minced garlic, two cups of fresh spinach, a quarter cup of marsala wine, a tablespoon of nutritional yeast, one teaspoon of fermented chili paste. Now that's just a new ingredient I have in my refrigerator, so I wanted to use it. If you don't have that, you can use some other type of hot sauce you want, or you can even leave it out and it still would be delicious. Two tablespoons of tamari, a half a teaspoon salt, a quarter teaspoon pepper, a tablespoon of truffle balsamic vinegar. If you don't have truffle balsamic vinegar, you can use regular balsamic vinegar. A tablespoon of chopped parsley for garnish and a cup of cherry tomatoes. So you start by laying the tofu out on a clean dish towel, um, cut it horizontally, and then cut it into four quarters so that you have eight squares of tofu. Um, lay the squares out onto a clean, dry dish towel, place another dish towel on top and press down, trying to remove as much of the water as possible. Prepare a cookie sheet that you line with some parchment paper and spray it with some olive oil. And in a shallow bowl or pie pan, you're going to make a batter with the cornmeal, the tapioca flour, the salt, and the herbs de Provence. Add three tablespoons of water to that. Mix it up so that you have a batter. And then you're going to dip the tofu squares into that batter, covering all sides, and then place it on the prepared cookie sheet. You're going to bake that at a 450-degree oven until the bottom is crispy and golden brown, about 10 minutes or so. Turn it over and bake for another 10 minutes until the other side gets crispy and golden. While that is baking, you're going to make the sauce. So you're going to uh, saute the mushrooms in the olive oil. When it's soft, you're going to add the garlic and the spinach. Um, then you're going to add the marsala wine, the nutritional yeast, the fermented chili paste, the tamari, the salt and pepper, and the vinegar. Um, and let that cook down a little bit. Add the cherry tomatoes and cook that again until the cherry tomatoes get soft. And I actually press the cherry tomatoes down. Um, to help them you know, break down a little quicker. 
taste the sauce and adjust the seasonings to your liking. If you want to add some more herbs de Provence, you can do that too. Or if you have some fresh herbs in the house, that's always great. Um, then pull the tofu cubes out of the oven, place them directly onto your plate, top it with the um, sauce and garnish it with some fresh parsley. And that's it. Um, it's really delicious. It's just a change of pace, a new way of making tofu. And um, it came out really great. So enjoy that. And now it is my pleasure to introduce all of you to my guest this week, Leonard Bouchel. Bouchel, is that, am I saying your name right? That is correct. Leonard Bouchel. He's the author of High Confessions of a Cannabis Addict, which is his memoir about his life as a drug dealer and his journey um, out of that as well. And um, Leonard is a California certified substance abuse counselor with years of experience working with people struggling with addiction. Um, he's the founder of Writers in Treatment, whose primary purpose is to promote treatment as the best first step solution for addiction, alcoholism, and other self-destructive behaviors. He's also the director of a 13-year-old Real Recovery Film Festival and Symposium, and for nine years has been the editor-publisher of the weekly Addiction Recovery eBulletin. He also directs and produces the annual Experience, Strength, and Hope Awards that take place in Los Angeles. And I'm going to just let him tell us more about his memoir and book. So, Leonard, welcome hey. to my show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for You're the very welcome. And, and thank you for getting up so early in can California. I show, can I show the book? We're actually just audio. We're not we're not visual, but you can show it to me. I've seen so it. I, I put on all this makeup for nothing. Yes, you did. But you look beautiful okay. to me. All right. Um, well. <laughs> so maybe you can sh uh, share with us um, how you went from, you know, or how you first got into dealing drugs and how long were you engaged in that um, trade? I needed to have money to, to buy hashish. And the easiest way was to buy more than I needed and sell it and then have enough left over for my usage. But before we get into my whole sword pass, I wanted to ask you, what is CSA? You said you have CSA. CSA. What is that? Community Supported Agriculture. And it's the, the best way, or including going to a farmer's market, but it is a way of supporting local farmers mm -hmm. while at the same time yes. getting a share every week of what they harvest. Okay. So okay. if you sign up for one, you get a box of fresh vegetables every week. Right. And they have loads of them out in California where you are. So check All it right. out. Yeah. It's a wonderful way. Being in L.A., I, I thought CSA was a new talent agency. <laughs> no. But it's not. And can I give you my recipe while I'm on the, since you just mentioned yours? And sure. I wasn't prepared for this. But I do have a favorite when I'm invited someplace. The one thing I take is kinpara. You what know, is that? The Japanese. Oh, kinpara. Uh huh. Kim, I don't think there's an A in it, but kinpara, which is burdock or uh -huh. goba, gobo, carrots. Uh, and I saute it in in um, toast, toasted sesame oil. You, you you cut it up very thin in pieces about two inches long, uh -huh. and 
you fry it in a little bit of oil and then you add a little bit of tamari and a little bit of apple juice and you and you burn off the liquid so eventually it's dry and then you refrigerate it so it's actually a chilled appetizer which people love because it's huh. sweet and salty but it's also burdock so it's sort of rich and hearty at the same time yeah yeah i love that i it's, love that although i've never Put apple juice in it. Very interesting. I usually use water. Water. Well, uh, to sweeten it. Because it's usually sweet. I mean, Japanese restaurants will probably use sugar. And I sort of judge Japanese restaurants by which ones serve kimpura or hijiki Uh seaweed. Uh And the ones Uh that don't, I don't like. But the ones that actually serve Japanese food, I'm I'm a big fan of. Uh Uh Well, I do water and then what, I mean, Burdock, for those of you that are not familiar with it, it's even it's a root vegetable, but it's much harder than even carrots. So it takes a long time for it to get soft. So you really have to cook it. And I find I have to keep adding some water to it. And once it starts getting dry, then I add mirin, sweet uh-huh. Japanese rice wine yes, for the that, sweetness that works, instead that of works. apple cider. That works. But too. I guess maybe you don't want that because of it's alcohol. Uh, I don't know. Do you cook with alcohol? Just the, I mean, the alcohol really cooks off. So. It's fine. I, I like mirin too. Miracle yeah. mirin is like the miracle ingredient that makes yeah. everything taste better. Right. And you right. don't have to tell people why. Right. Uh, and then at the end, I also add a little bit of sesame oil to it. I don't cook it in sesame oil, uh-huh. but dark sesame oil is a great flavoring. Uh-huh. I use that as a seasoning at the end. Okay. So yeah, I love that recipe. So, Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Mirin is the secret sauce after all. Yeah. So luckily, and part of the reason I got into drug dealing was because I would use the, the money that I made to attend macrobiotic lectures and camps and weekends. And it was an ironic and it was a very contradictory, if not actually, what's the other word? Uh, conflicted? What, it wasn't quite hypocritical because macrobiotics you know is not a, a a lifestyle or a diet that includes drugs okay mm-hmm. but i was doing a lot of weed at the time and eventually cocaine but the money mm-hmm. i made from drug dealing i would use to attend macrobiotic camps uh-huh. it was more than diet it was also a philosophy that i really enjoyed very much and and to this day uh I try, it's really easy for me to order in a restaurant because when you're not eating meat and you're not eating chicken, three quarters of the menu is off limits. And then you have to decide, do you really want something with this much cheese in it? Do you really want something with this much oil in it? Do you really want white pasta, which I I do and I don't? Uh Uh-huh. Right. Your listeners are conflicted about that. Oh, and now with the nano product, the nano particles, I'm going to carry around a magnifying glass. <laughs> I don't think you're still not going to be able to see them. Is there like no, a hundredth of a hair follicle? How? Yes. Are can't they see them. Are they expensive? You can't buy them, I don't think. I mean, unless you're in the technology field. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous that they're allowed to put things into our food and not have to label it. Well, I wouldn't say it's ridiculous. It's sinful that they uh-huh. would. It's greedy that they would. And I don't really think anybody that works in any government agency 
is looking out for my health or your health. So right. you're asking, like you said, the, the fox guarding the hen house. That's how the system works. And I guess it's up to individuals to read labels and maybe even read in between the lines of labels. Well, that's, that's why, you know, in general, we promote, I promote eating whole whole foods, you know, yes. that aren't processed because yes. most of these, the nanoparticles are in processed food. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why, you know, infant food, inf- you know, baby formula. I mean, ideally you don't want to be giving that to your child anyway. You want to be making their food and breastfeeding, but you know, different people have different reasons why they need to do that. Or, you know, for whatever reason, you just want to be aware that those things exist and, you know, avoid them. Going into a supermarket is like going into a land, a field of landmines. Right. And what they say, you should only walk around the outside of the supermarket, never go down the aisle. (laughs) Right. The fruits and the vegetables and the dairy are around the side and Uh and you'll be a lot better off. Yes. I often tell people, was it ever wrapped in plastic? Which doesn't mean it was a processed food. But just pulling vegetables off the shelves or the the, the 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 bins at a farmer's market. I'm very lucky. I have a farmer's market one mile away from me every right. Sunday, and it's nice to. And in California, they can grow vegetables year round. You know where I am. Yes, you but you know I I've noticed that the farmer's market in Union Square that I go to whenever I'm in New York. Everything is much, everything has a much richer color to it than at a California farmer's market. Because California only is using sort of recycled water. There's no rain here. At least in New York, all the vegetables and, 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 and fruits are grown using God's gift of actual rainwater, which is not the same as recycled water or cleansed water, whatever you call it, purified water that California, because uh-huh. we don't get rain. So it's right. either groundwater or it's coming from Colorado. And after a long trip, the water is very tight. It's uh-huh. not that fresh rainwater. So, but we do have every kind of vegetable all year round. Right. If we don't right. have it. We'll, we'll bring it in. They bring it in. Right. Uh, you know, when I try and want to buy something, especially blueberries out of season. They're from New Zealand. Um, Any kind of mangoes or papayas, they're from very far away. And if you heard what I was talking about with the fraud in organic cotton, Cotton. anytime we're bringing stuff in from another country, um, you have to be careful because you just don't know how stringent their certification is. The certification in this country is even questionable. I mean, all certifiers aren't the same. So you want to know who's certifying your products. I'm a very trusting person. I'll trust anybody until they <laughs> prove me wrong. But when it comes to organic labels, I'm figuring it's 50-50 that you're really <laughs> getting something organic. And organic cotton, um, yes. I, well, what, and you were mentioning pharmaceuticals, the pharmaceutical industry. If there's a great book out, and I forget what it's called, but it's it's about generic drugs and just mm-hmm. how incredibly inferior they are 
because they're made in China, they're made in India, and there's no oversight. And the potency and, and the ingredients are not the same as an American manufactured, you know, uh. first run, run drug, which are all suspect to, to, uh, you know, to, to whatever. Uh, but, um, yes. Well, I'm going to bring you back to your book. Okay. Because oh, I, I want to talk about your book. Yeah, I'm going to hold um, it up anyway. Yes. Your book is, you know, <laughs> let me, let me great. tell you, this book is called High. H-I-G-H, not, not high, like hello, not high, the Israeli letter. Right. High. And when the title came to me, I've been writing the book for 10 years. It's really good. It's very funny. It's very sexy. Uh, there's a lot of photographs in it. Luckily, I've been a photographer my whole life, so there are, there are photos in it. Not that they're photos that I took as a professional photographer, for, but I guess in the last so many years, everyone has been recording their lives. Even before selfies, I had Polaroid cameras and, and cameras, and, and, and there's some really good photographs in there. And, and then it's called High because, oh, it, the title came to me about six months ago because we were toying with a lot of titles, like from drug dealer to drug counselor, uh, you know, uh, the you know the the Jewish drug dealer gets sober. You know, titles, uh -huh. but, but also the, the tagline. The tagline. The tagline adds a lot to it, though. Confessions of a cannabis addict. Yes, and some people have have have. I was talking to a <laughs> DJ, a dust jockey in Philadelphia, not desk, a disc jockey, music guy in Philadelphia two weeks ago, and he said, "I have a problem with the title of your book." cannabis addict i said yeah he says well i'm it's not addictive i've been smoking for 52 years and i can stop whenever i want but in 52 years he never thought of stopping because it does it's a habit you know maybe right. if, if you don't want to call it addicted addictive but it is and if anybody out there who has thought of giving up pot to improve the quality of your life on every level, give it a try. Give it a try. And there is an organization called Marijuana Anonymous, which can be very helpful. Uh, but people who've been smoking for 20 or 30 years, it's not to get high anymore. I don't think anybody's still getting high after smoking pot every day for 20 or 30 years. They're just maintaining the THC levels in their blood so that they don't feel sick. You know, not sick like a heroin addict trying to get off a of heroin, but uncomfortable. It's an unpleasant feeling. And if I hadn't gone away to a rehab for 28 days, I would have never stopped smoking pot. And I wouldn't have realized what an incredible gift life, a natural life can give you. A natural mm -hmm. life. What inspired you to, to try going clean? I wasn't inspired to try going clean. I just I was having a nervous breakdown. I thought I was about to get arrested. So I snuck into a rehab. I didn't sneak in. I, I went to a 28-day facility, A, because I thought I was going to be arrested, and B, I was having a nervous breakdown from a breakup, and I was using MDMA slash ecstasy slash molly way too often, and it was it was 
making me very shaky, if you will. And I know all the ecstasy addicts out there, which also is not addictive, but it sure is fun to do every weekend or every other day. And if you have a fight with your girlfriend, it's the easiest way to make up. And then you become dependent on it. You know, so I had a relationship that was incredibly drug-infused, if you will. Uh, and then it came to a crashing end. I couldn't stop shaking, so I called the rehab, and they said, yeah, come on in. Um, and it was only after being there a month that I realized I hadn't gotten high, which I didn't think was a possibility on the quantum level of astrophysics. I thought you had to get high every day or else your life would cease to exist. That's how dependent on it I was. You know, part of the book is about when I was 20 years old and I wanted to get high on hashish every day and there was none to, for sale in Philadelphia or New York. No dealer I knew had any. And so I went to Israel to get hashish because I couldn't live without it. Uh, you know, and to me that was like just going out of the neighborhood to score uh, and then sneaking it back in through Kennedy Airport at great risk to my freedom uh, if you will, and and so I understand the passion, you know, not compulsion, not obsession, but the passion people have to get high, especially if they've been using it as an unconscious coping mechanism to to get through life. Uh, people who who work, who are lucky enough to be working, have a job. If they have a really good day at work, they will come home and roll a joint. Or I guess if you're young, you get a bong or a vape pen. You know, but if they had a good day at work, they'll come home and smoke a joint because they had a good day at work. Two days later, they have a bad day at work. What would someone what would someone do? They'll come home and roll a joint or get the bong out because they had a bad day at work. So it makes a good day I don't think it makes a good day better. It, it, it used to heighten experiences, but I don't think it does after 20 or 30 years. So it, it sort of puts everything in the middle. And it's okay maybe if you're a real Zen master and everything is down the middle path, but it really mediocritizes essences of your life. You know, it, it, it's the great mediocritizer. And, and, and I think people don't realize how how it's how it it puts a filter yes i used to i used to literally wear rose colored glasses i was high all the time i, I wore rose colored glasses and and i saw the world that way but seeing the world naturally just like the kind of food you want to eat is is a very holy experience to have nothing between me and the clouds, me and the rain, me and the trees, me and the squirrels. Squirrels are fascinating. You know, in L.A. we don't have a lot of wildlife, but I got squirrels everywhere. And I got birds, luckily, flying around outside the window of my apartment. Uh, you know, na nature, trees are amazing. How they grow leaves and then they let them fall to the ground like, you know, like... 
It reminds you of like death every day when you're walking on leaves. Like, oh, these were once alive. They just have a shorter lifespan than I do. But God bless them. And God bless me and God bless everybody on the planet because we are in a planetary crisis. You know, it's a lot more than nanoparticles. How about nuclear bomb particles? It's a, it's a very fascinating time. I think one of the great miracles of my lifetime is that no one has dropped a nuclear bomb on people since 1948, 47? When was that? I don't remember. I wasn't alive at the time. Uh, I'm not sure. 45? So, you know, I have to look hard for the miracles. Gay marriage is legal. That's a miracle. Marijuana is legal. It's one of the great social advances in America since you know, I was born. Since that ridiculous war on drug addicts, that ridiculous, you know, Richard Nixon was a mm-hmm. war on black people. It was a war on immigrants. Uh, it was a, it was a war on people who couldn't afford a good lawyer because white. So people even even though out. you've had even though you've had this experience, you still think that um, the legalization of marijuana is good. You think well, some the, people can use marijuana and not be addicted to it? No, I think people can use marijuana and not get arrested and thrown into jail. That's what I think. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, more you know minorities, mostly. It's a fabulous drug when used uh, moderately. Uh-huh. If you can, uh, it's it's you know it used to be a drug. You know I think it was who was it? Gary Snyder, uh, the great poet, said back in the day, and people who know what the day was. He says, you would hitchhike a hundred miles just to talk to a friend, just to have a conversation of like-minded people. And at the time, it probably included a little marijuana. And ask Ramdas, God rest his soul. It can be, I, I say it's a young person's drug, not a teenager. But, you know, if you had, if you have, I don't know if you have children, if they're going out Saturday night, would you rather have them be smoking pot or drinking? Me personally, you know? smoking pot for sure. Yes, especially if they're driving. Uh-huh. Okay, if they're driving. But eventually, I think marijuana will do more brain damage than a couple beers on the weekend. Yeah, a couple beers every day, you're going to get messed up. But I don't think alcohol has the ability to distort brain chemistry as much as the very powerful chemical of marijuana. I mean, when you think of smoking a half a joint of some really strong indica, that's doing something. I mean, I, I, you know, I smoked for 26 years, and my linear cognitive abilities are not as sharp as they, that they would have been if I hadn't, uh, which mm-hmm. you know, it's hard for me to do interviews because I'm all over the place because I can't keep a coherent string of of thoughts going going on, mm-hmm. uh, but I, now, do, I know in your book, in your yes. book you talk about um, you know your father passing away when you were just three weeks old. Three weeks um, old. What about how it? Did, how well you write about it? How do you think that um, affected your desire? Did that did that impact your um, addiction? Do you feel like it? 
I do because I didn't realize it that I had shame about that. And it wasn't until I was at a rehab that I got a chance to write about things and talk about things. And I remembered that when I was in the schoolyard, this is probably elementary school, you know, later grades, like fifth grade, guys would be in the, in the schoolyard talking about their fathers, what they did, this and that. And I remember literally slinking away from the conversation because I didn't have anything, because I was embarrassed. Uh, I, I, and, I re- and, and I didn't process it at the time, but when I started dealing drugs, I was with men who accepted me, who were interested in what I had to say, and we weren't talking about what our fathers did. We were talking about drugs and music and rock and roll and sex and travel and things, you know, things of that nature. Uh, so I think it it caused me, you know, it's like when I went to a party, I had the best marijuana, and that made my self, that helped my self-esteem. You know, like, oh, you might have money, you might have a pretty girl, I have the best pot here, and, and I was willing to share it with people. Uh, so I think it probably, and I, I, I had a brother who was sent away to boarding school, so I was alone a lot growing up. And I found a friend in hashish, you know, in Philadelphia before marijuana became popular. It was hashish. It was the hashish center of, of the United States, actually. And my son tells me, I told him a story when he was young, that I had a ceremony where I married a quarter ounce of black hash because it was so meaningful to me that I thought, oh, I have something here that will provide me with an a sense of ease and comfort that nothing else can. And I will do anything to have it, possess it, and then eventually deal it. And it, it, it gave me, it gave me a life that you know, was beyond my wildest dreams growing up in sort of like a, a little quasi Jewish ghetto neighborhood in Philadelphia where everybody knew each other. I, you know, one of the great uh, miracles in my life, among a few others, was that I lived in the same house for 20 years growing up. So we knew every neighbor. Our neighbors never moved. It was a stable neighborhood, which you still have in New York and other cities. You know, the whole migration of people moving for one reason or another hadn't started. So we knew the same people. It was very secure, you know. If there was someone from outside the neighborhood walking down the block, everybody was at the window saying, "Who's that? Where are they going? Who's that?" Uh-huh. So it, it, it was uh, it, it was cool. It was cool actually, and I, I, uh, I hopefully it's still like that in many places. I'm I'm allergic to moving. I don't move. I've lived in a town called Studio City for the last twenty some years. You know, not the mm-hmm. same abode, but the same neighborhood. I, I panic if I have to change dry cleaners. I like the stability. <laughs> the same right, grocery right, store, right. the same farmer's market every Sunday. Right. It's, 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 uh, yeah, there's comfort in that, for sure. It's comfort, security. Uh, even though the rest of my life you know, had a lot of tur- turmoil and drama, 
and no father, and my mother never remarried. Uh, it was it was like it was only after looking at it that I realized like, I grew up like like an electric plug with only one prong. You know, I was only experiencing the the feminine energy of my mother, and there was never a man there to teach me how to you know change a, a flat tire on a car or teach me how to paint the guest room you know or, or teach me how to fight uh, or play golf uh, so I had to learn those things on my own and I felt that dealing drugs had some macho benefits it's not a career mm -hmm. everyone chooses and I chose it when I was in high school even after getting arrested uh, one night when the cops broke into my house and they arrested me and my mother uh, that didn't deter me because I didn't see any other way to engage in the behavior that I had become accustomed to which was movies, shows, plays, New York for fun, you know, coming on the Amtrak train. I hear there's no more Metro Liner. Is that true? Do you ever travel up on the East Coast? Um, um, what do you mean Metro Liner? Metro Car? No, the Metro Liner. Come on, help me. The train that went from There's Boston, still the train, Boston, the, the, the Metro North? Metro North? Yeah. Metroliner. See, it's not there. Anymore. I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's called Metroliner, but there's certainly Amtrak that goes from New York Amtrak, to Boston. Amtrak, yes. And, and before Amtrak, it was the Pennsylvania Railroad. Uh huh. Uh, anyway, the point is money to travel, to buy nice clothing, uh, eat in better restaurants than McDonald's and and Burger King and Arby's. And I was going to see if I could, how many chain restaurants. Well, you're also you're also a writer. Uh, you know, obviously you. I have. I, I publish. I'm a writer and an editor, and I publish. A and did you have that career out. while you were also smoking pot, or did that only develop after uh, the you career gave up? came after? After I stopped dealing, I realized I needed a career. I always dabbled in th in in creative projects, if you will. Uh, but it was only after I quit that I realized I better figure out something to do. But I would like to turn your readers on to a, an incredible website. It's called addictionrecoveryebulletin.org. Addictionrecoveryebulletin.org. It's named the e-bulletin after that fabulous newspaper in Philadelphia, the Bulletin. So it's addictionrecoveryebulletin.org. It changes every Tuesday. It's all brand new articles about the world of drug addiction, recovery, celebrity, sobriety. It's about it's reviews, movies and TV shows that have something to do with 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 drug abuse or drug use. You know, the new TV show Euphoria that people seem to love or hate. Uh, there's a lot going on in the media because half the people in Hollywood are high. So, you know, they got something right. to write about that they know about.
and the other right. half are clean and sober because they wanted to maintain their careers and their families and the quality of their life. And it doesn't mean nice cars. It means the quality of being grateful every day when you wake up and, and, and just take your first breath of fresh air. When uh, you first walk outside your first cup of coffee and to appreciate it like it's a nectar from the gods or your first cup of, in my case, kukacha tea. You know, I, I'm, I'm so happy that I found a beverage that serves me so well for so many years. You know, it's otherwise called bancha. It's a twig tea. Mm-hmm. It's a Japanese twig tea. Um, preferably like light roast it before you put it in the boiling water. And it goes with seafood. It goes with, it's just a wonderful beverage. You know, I, I, I look in the restaurants and I see people drinking Coca-Cola and soda. And I'm wondering, how do they not realize they're pouring a toxic chemical into their body? You know, I used to have a habit, and I don't do it anymore because it's not, it's, it's dangerous. You know, ask a parent who's giving their kid a Coca-Cola, like a five-year-old, and say, would you just, if it wasn't going through his mouth where he could experience the delight of sugar, but he was thirsty, would you just pour that into his stomach? If there was a tube into a child's stomach, would you just pour Coca-Cola into it for them to not be thirsty? No. You know, I mean, the mouth is a great warning uh, organ, if you will, but it's also can trick you into thinking this is good. You know, this, you know, caramel popcorn. Do you like Mm -hmm. caramel popcorn? I love it, but I don't think my system loves processing and having to deal with the sugar and the oil and and the preservatives and the nanoparticles mm-hmm. but it tastes really good going down but then again i could eat, take a bite of something else and thinking oh there's something wrong with this like if something is moldy or funky but most food is so preserved and flavored that you don't know when it's gone bad you know yeah. i buy this ezekiel bread where i'm so happy Three days out of the, three days, it's starting to get moldy. So right. I know it's right. alive. Other bread, it's like, hey, it's been two weeks. <laughs> it still looks the same. Right, right. But, but right. I'm not talking about Wonder Bread. I'm talking about, you know, alleged health food. Well, I know I was at a, a Super Bowl party, and I mean, I wasn't even watching the football game. I didn't even know who's playing. So that's not my thing. But someone said, you want to come over? My husband was out of town. I was like, sure. So I came over, and you know, I'm vegan, so they didn't have very much food that I could eat, but there were potato chips there. And I never eat potato chips, really. But I mm-hmm. ate potato chips, mostly for yes. dinner. It I felt a- so so sick that night. I could barely go to sleep. I, I It was horrible. And I was reminded why I don't eat it. Even though it might taste good in the moment, you know it's not good for you, you know? And occasionally a few potato chips, fine, but I ate more than, my, than just a few. Amazing how many vegans... Their go their go to outdoor food is French fries, like uh-huh. they can always they can only eat the French fries at at a gathering, where uh-huh. everyone is ordering something, 
you know, it's the French fries. Which well, it's I getting much know. more, much easier to eat vegan going out than it used to. But yeah, I mean, I, I learned a long time ago, French fries will make me feel sick. You know, I can have a few and I love them, mm-hmm. but not, not good for one's body. Well, <clears> you have to sure. balance it out with some, with some uh, Heinz ketchup. <laughs> when you're getting the salt right. and the sweet and it's fantastic and now they know that french fries at fast food restaurants aren't really french fries there's some sort of creation you know the french fries at mcdonald's are not they're barely potato but it's not like mm. where they cut the potato and fry it they put a billion potatoes in a grinder and it squirts out something that they can then fry. Yeah, I don't really know about that. I just oh, remember I when that. they yeah. when they were um, sued by you know the Indi- India because their French fries were covered with um, animal you know fat mm. before they were fried. You know they and mm. so they weren't you know all these people were eating French fries thinking that they're vegetarian and they were not. No. So. But, Again, it's, you know, looking at the ingredients. I know that from, you know, working in schools and looking at the um, the ingredients of what they have in the frozen <laughs> freezer. It's yeah. pretty scary. Yeah. So there are some stories about food in the book called High, Confessions of a Cannabis Addict. It is available on Amazon. You can order it from Barnes & Nobles if you feel like going to the bookstore today. Uh, hi, I'm on Facebook. I love Facebook. I'm not an Instagrammer. Uh, I, I let the birds tweet for me, but I am on Facebook because I want to uh-huh. support Mark Zuckerberg because I know he, you know, he might have lost a couple billion dollars yesterday. So I want to make sure he uh-huh. still feels like he's the king of the Jews. So I'm on uh-huh. Facebook a lot. Now you I, dedicated I the thoughts. what you dedicated the book to Robert Downey Sr. I right? did. Is he yeah. Robert Downey Jr.'s father? Correct, yes. He died in July, uh, and we'd been friends for 40 years, and he was very inspirational on any level, and he was also one of the nicest men I ever knew. Uh, he only got angry at me once in 40 years. Uh-huh. Well, Robert Downey Jr., I, th- I think, went through um, sobriety, right? Yeah, yeah, he's... Yeah. He's... Uh, Towing the line, you know, he was a bona fide, passionate drug addict. Uh-huh. There were times he said he, he was addicted to the sneaking around. Uh, yeah, so he's been in recovery, if you will, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and his father was a great New Yorker, ultimately, and I'd see him every time I went back to New York, which was a few times a year. And I miss him terribly because he won't be there the next time I go back. And I was there mm. in memorial in, in July for his memorial. And next time I go, it'll be weird not to be able to call him and to get together. Uh, but I, I guess that's part of that's life. That's right. life. Or, that's life. Or the lack of. So can you t- talk to my listeners a little bit about the Real Recovery Film Festival and Symposium that you host? What is that? Uh-huh. 13 years ago, I realized that a lot of people hadn't seen some classic films on the big screen. Uh, 
So we created the Real Recovery Film Festival and Symposium. And the reason it's called Symposium is because after every film, we have a a group, a, a, a conversation with the audience uh, about the film. We critique it. We talk about which characters we could relate to, if it was a triggering event for people in recovery. And we showed a lot of the classics the first year. Lost in Lost in, Lost Weekend, the Robert Downey Jr. classic Less Than Zero, uh, Days of Wine and Roses, Barfly. Uh, I I, I, could, I don't want to name them all. And then we were so well. It was a really good reaction. The first night, the first night of the first film festival, we showed a film called Permanent Midnight, and maybe some of your listeners have heard it. It's it's about. 15, 20 years old, starring Ben Stiller. And the first night, Ben Stiller came with the author of the movie, Jerry Stahl. So it's, it's, a, it's a true story about a television writer who was a very active drug addict. Uh, you know, the classic Hollywood story about someone, you know, who's doing heroin at night but they'll only drink organic smoothies the next day. Like, if that's not an mm-hmm. organic smoothie, I don't want it. But in the meantime, uh-huh. you're doing heroin, but you, you, you're very careful about what you put in your body. Uh, so that's called Permanent Midnight. And then we did it again the next year, and now we get 150 submissions every year. Uh, we've had the film festival. We do a week in Los Angeles in October and a week in New York in November. So, of course, the last two years, uh, we were online exclusively because of the you-know-what. I don't even want to say it. You know, I don't look at pictures of that virus, you know, the red one with the little spikes. It looks like a land, you know, like a... Yeah. I don't even look at pictures of it because I think that could open me up to inviting it into my life. So I don't... And now I don't even Uh want to... Say the name, the, word. The, the, <laughs> the little thing the Chinese invented. Isn't it ironic, or not ironic? Isn't it dastardly that the hundred million tests, home tests, that the government sent out? I got two of them for free. You know, you get online. Right. A week later, you have two <laughs> tests for this little thing, and they're all made in China. So it's like it comes from China, and now we're buying, and they don't mention how much the American government is paying the Chinese government for these tests, a hundred million or more. Why can't they figure put up together a quick factory in America to make them? Is the science that exclusive that only the Chinese know how to test for it? And they never mention how much our vaccines cost. But the home test says made in China. And it's just like, wow. You know, it's like like everything at Bed Bath & Beyond is made in China. <laughs> and now the free home testing kit is made in China. Mm-hmm. I would like to know how much they cost. Yeah. They don't, they, they, they don't mention. Do not know. Do not know. That being said, 
We were in New York every week for, in November for like eight years, but we had to stop because the thing. Uh, we're back in L.A. We have a theater, a regular theater, uh, in October, October 21st uh, to October 27th. Oh, we're not sure about New York yet. We're still waiting to, you know, to see what the temperature of the city mm -hmm. is and how it's all going. And I know you just, you know, we don't know. Hopefully, right. it we hope it will be good. The the signs lately have been. There is an improvement. California yeah. just dropped its outdoor mask mandate for everywhere but Los Angeles. Uh, but Los Angeles has been very good about following the rules. You know, no matter what, LA has been very cooperative. Uh, but the rest of this, so we'll see. And God willing, who isn't, who, who of course is always willing, but uh, I, <laughs> uh, it will the the curve. Will continue to go down and down. Yes, I hope. I hope so. We certainly need that. If it erupts again, <laughs> then we'll have to make accommodations and put the film festival back online. Uh, yeah. We had yeah. people in thirty-four different countries tune in. Mm. It was on a. Nice. It was on a channel called Film Festival Flicks, oh. and we had eighty films posted. So it's sort of like the Netflix of drug and alcohol. And we also deal with films with with mental health issues, behavioral health issues, uh -huh. gambling and sex, uh, social ills, homelessness, and, and Did other you ever show the, the film Reefer Madness? That was, that was a film that they showed us when I was in high school. Yes. To try to keep us away from it. Yes. Uh, we showed that in the theater five years ago. It's a dreadful movie. It's terrible. It's a bad movie. Even for nostalgic stake, it's hard to get through. But we were yeah. in the theater and we had some interesting people talking about it afterwards. And like I said, we're very in favor of legalization of, of marijuana. I'm for the legalization of all drugs. You know, uh -huh. There wouldn't be 100,000 people overdosing and dying last year if you could go into Rite Aid or CVS and buy a little, you know, $20 bag of pure heroin and know what you're getting, you know, all drugs should be legal. It's, 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 mm. it's travesty. That's, a, that's an interesting thought. Anyway, Leonard, we are out of time. It's been so fascinating talking oh, with you. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate your work. I think it's so important for people to, you know, Know that you can, um, you can Please. take that journey yes. and and still and embrace life without mm. drugs, and that there's also a place for someone who can manage to do it on occasion and not be addicted to it, and um, and that you're, you know, you know, you're open to it. So that's great. Well, thank you for having me. I I feel. I'm going to have a very progressive day. I feel like I'm going to really watch what I eat. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, I, I, a friend is bringing over a salmon salad later, and I have a fabulous new Chinese doctor who says I can never eat tuna again because I have a heavy metal issue in yep. my system. Yep. No more tuna, any kind of tuna. And he also said 
only uh, line line caught salmon. Don't buy salmon anymore willy nilly. That's so right. I'm gonna, I'm anyway, we are really out of time. Yeah, we yeah. have another show coming Bye. on. I have to say goodbye. Bon appetit. Thank you. Everyone who's been listening, thank you for joining us, and I'll see you all again next week.